legends. We are so happy to have you guys back on here. It's been a hot minute since we've talked. And today is actually the first day back from spring break, which is something I'm not that thrilled about um, because I really enjoyed my spring break. What about you, Cheryl? It was pretty good. I was definitely a bit busy, but I was able to watch a bunch of RuPaul's Drag Race with my sister, Love. which I absolutely like live for that show and everything that goes down. Um, I definitely got to catch up on all my Netflix shows, which was pretty, pretty great. I definitely miss that. No, same. And I love, I did the same thing. Like I slept, ate, watched Netflix, and that was about it. But that's the point of spring break. Like who studies, mm -hmm. who does homework? Like, please, it's called spring break for a reason. Welcome to season two, episode two of The Lowdown. We really hope you enjoyed our first episode featuring Miss Wilson, and I gotta say, we started off really, really strong. I definitely got to hear a lot of positive feedback from listeners, which was greatly appreciated, of course. We couldn't have done this without the support of Mr. Ogrodiak, Mr. Backy, our content producers, Angela Torres and Aaron Padbury, our technical producers, Kevin Xiao, Renee Cordero, Shamir Mughal, and Elliot Slavens, our photographer, Alyssa Fraser, and last but not least, the Lillian Osborne Parent Association, Mr. Radmanovich, and the admin team. Yeah, for sure. And today's episode, we will be talking about everything related to mental health, and we have the perfect panel lined up to talk about these topics. We'll be learning about stigma in mental health, different mental health conditions, self-care, and resources. In today's episode, we hope to spark a meaningful conversation about mental health with Dr. Huji and Michelle Engblom, a counselor at Thrive Teens. We hope you guys enjoy. One of our guests today is Michelle Engblom, who is a counselor at Thrive Teams. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. How are you doing? Hi, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. We're going to be talking all about mental health today, and I'm so excited for all the things that you have to say about this topic. Obviously, it's very relevant considering that we are in the middle of a pandemic. Um, obviously, these issues have been on the rise lately, and I think it's really important to initiate these sort of discussions as well. So I guess we can just jump right into our, our questions for you today. So first off, we have a question that like these days, there's a lot of instances where people tend to say anxiety and depression around a lot in like context where there are other words that would fit the situation better. So could you explain to us what the differences are between feeling anxious and or depressed versus anxiety and depression disorders? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really great question. Yeah. So I guess to break that down a little bit, my the first thought is that... Um, you know, as at least for specifically around anxiety, there's there's also a normal kind of typical range of that, right? Like you know, getting up in our day, that we are going to have moments. There's a there's a there's a an average sort of range of that, right? You know, we have a big test coming up, maybe, or we're attending a new event. Uh, where we're meeting new people we haven't met before. So there's a wide range for anxiety. Um, and and that's and we kind of differentiate, you know, in working and in, in counseling support around these issues between kind of what's that kind of normal range that we all that's just part of being human um, and dealing with every day-to-day -day life and and the maybe more strong um, versions of that where we might be starting to avoid. Um, avoid people, avoid places, avoid things. And it's starting to have a real impact on our day-to-day -day life. Maybe we don't want to mm -hmm. attend school. Um, maybe we don't want to go to a social event because it's kind of, we get too anxious um, with meeting new people. Um, so, you know, there's a wide range. And, you know, one way of looking at it also is maybe not even trying to label everything too distinctly, but kind of finding out where a person's at and some strategies to kind of work with that. So it might be if it's... Um, you know, sort of mild anxiety around maybe tests, you know, some coping skills, some strategies around 
um, how to work with test anxiety. If it's if it's um, very you're very strong and you're avoiding a lot of life because of it, um, then we do actually something called um, exposure therapy and little ways of taking little baby steps back and actually kind of facing your fears a little bit um, with with anxiety. Um, and that our part of anxiety is, is a normal reaction in our brain mm-hmm. um, related to the amygdala, which when it's really reacting strong, you know, strongly, we it's a normal part of how our brain is designed to either want to fight, um, flight, run away, or freeze. Those are the three more kind of common ones. Right. And um, and so how how to kind of we work on strategies for kind of how we how to work with that and um, how mm-hmm. to be brave, I guess, in facing those mm-hmm. challenges. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and I think that's like it's really important to let our listeners know that having like anxious feelings is completely normal, right? We all experience those on a daily basis. Um, But I also think it's important, and we'll get into this discussion a bit later, to find like coping strategies to deal with that as well and find healthy ways to to deal with that anxiety that we do all experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you made a really good point, Cheryl, you know, also of saying healthy ways, right? Because um, sometimes it's easy to turn to something that might not be so healthy, that might calm us or make us feel more calm in the moment, but maybe isn't the most health, healthy option kind of moving forward. So, um, yeah, and and the idea that, um, well, anxiety too may feel uncomfortable, it also is not harming us and it's not going to, you know, and how to also sometimes sit with that uncomfortable feeling and kind of and work through it a bit. So, Right, totally. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like the idea of like depression and in the, the yeah. idea of like feeling depressed and like actually having a depression disorder and what kind of differentiates the two. Yeah, yeah, that's another great question. So, I mean, I, I find depression to be like a really a, a big word. Sometimes people find that word feels kind of heavy a little bit and, and also being unclear as to like, what is that? Is it just mean I'm, I feel sad? Does it just mean, you know, I um, like, what is that exactly? So we'll often, you know, when I work, I specialize in working with youth and with teens and kind of exploring what that might look like for them. And so some of the more common elements around depression, and again, it can be on a, a scale from mild, moderate to sort of clinical or, or more severe. Um, mm-hmm. But some of the more common aspects of it, there's five or six kind of things that sometimes, you know, are part of that. And, and one is one is um, motivation might be very much affected. So just sort of, you know, you might find that you're really struggling with feeling motivated um, right. and where before yeah. projects and stuff, motivation, energy levels, um, and that also relates to sleep. So f- sometimes when, when youth are struggling with depressing, they, they, Either one of two things maybe cannot fall asleep or they're oversleeping. They're sleeping way more hours. So sleep is often affected and eating is also often affected. Same thing. It might be suddenly you're wanting to eat all the time or you lose your appetite. You just don't have an appetite. Um, An interest in things that you normally love, like maybe you love to normally act or, you know, work out at the gym and suddenly... Again, motivation and interest for that, you cannot, it's, you're really struggling to find that passion for things that you normally would, you know, before. Um, and yeah, and, and, and some low energy kind of in there too. So those are probably some of the more common um, kind of things that we see that sort of make up, um, you know, what I guess would be kind of classified as, yeah. as depression. And then again, there's a really wide range of, of experiences in that so right of course and I think it's really good that we're having this conversation to inform our listeners of what these actually look like in case um, maybe someone is seeing these sort of patterns in their friends or their family or like people they work with and I think it's really important to kind of educate others about those signs so now we Sorry, can I just sorry just to add one more one more thing to that too is often I find I see when I'm working with youth 
maybe that are struggling with depression. Another common one is at times maybe isolating yourself a bit and kind of pulling back, um, wanting to spend most of your time kind of by yourself and sort of withdrawing maybe a little bit. Sit from maybe previously you might have been a little more out there involved with things. So, And and just to add, I think over the last year with COVID Mm, in my work, working with teens, We've, that's probably the area that we've seen quite an increase in is depressive symptoms um, amongst youth and feeling isolated and lacking motivation. Oh, yeah, of course. I totally understand, especially, you know, as like humans, we are like obviously social beings, right? And isolation often does have a really big um, impact on people's mental health, which is really why like one of the reasons why this like this imp- conversation is so important today. Um, So now we want to talk a little bit about mental health stigma and have a conversation about that as well. So the definition, when I Google it, is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality or person. And we kind of want to dive into um, mental health stigma a bit more in this conversation. So my question to you is how the stigma around mental health affect those who struggle with mental health and are looking to reach out? Yeah, yeah. So... um... In our work at Thrive Teens and, and Family Counseling, we work mostly with young people. So I, I find there's there's a generate there can be a generational difference, there can be family differences in that stigma, and there can be cultural um and just a, a variety of differences, maybe in the approach to it. So probably one of the first ones I would comment would be um it would seem that perhaps there's less stigma for youth reaching out. There's less, youth are much more accustomed to talking about mental health, discussing it with their friends. But, and I find that oftentimes parents are the ones struggling to understand mental health concerns or, or maybe sometimes parents, because in their generation, we didn't, we didn't discuss this, these things. It wasn't talked about, and there's also not as much awareness. I find youth are tend to be pretty highly educated and informed about um, these issues. So some of our work is also actually helping parents to support their youth, their right. kids. And, and how can we get parents to be more understanding um, and just help kind of even educate a little bit for um, you know, for parents. And then, you know, I think I'll, sometimes there is in society too, mm-hmm. right? Around, um, it feels like that has been decreasing over the years a bit, but there can be, um, and within some families or our cultures too, right? There's sometimes there's more, sometimes families, it's more open to speaking up about your feelings and emotions. And in some, in some environments, it's, you know, kind of like, oh, we don't talk about that. So um, I think our environment and society and systems around us um, and and differences in generations all can contribute maybe to that stigma. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd be curious to know even for you, Cheryl, like your thoughts on do you feel like, do you feel like as a teen that, um, you know, in your circle or in, in your school, do you feel like there is stigma um, amongst your peers in discussing these topics? Yeah, for sure. I think um, like whether it be among like the, the youth or more um, adults, like I think there is stigma regardless. But I do think like amongst this sort of um, younger generation, there is there has been more like conversations about mental health. Right. And we see that a lot. And especially here at Lillian Osborne, right, we try to be um, very cognizant of like mental health issues and um, ways to reach out for support as well. Like, for example, like this podcast in itself, right, um, can be a resource for students and is a conversation to try to um, talk more about it and try to decrease that stigma. Right. We don't think we'll ever like get to a point of like zero right but we think that we can obviously decrease it and even if we are decreasing it by that little bit um i do genuinely think that it it makes situations better for everyone and i really do like the point that you bring up about stigma being not as simple as like just mental health stigma but like looking at the ways that other identity factors also play into that stigma as well and i think that's something uh really important that can often be overlooked when we're talking about mental health stigma specifically And then our next question is that during the pandemic, um, was there a rise in school and teen awareness towards mental health and acknowledgement of stigma around it? Kind of what we just talked about. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, um, I, I'm not sure if there's, I don't know. I, I've, I've always, I'm not sure if during the pandemic there's been a increase in awareness. Um, I, I feel like more people are reaching out because they're struggling more than they were before. Right. So mm-hmm. in my experience, you know, at Thrive Teens working with youth, you know, maybe maybe they're struggling with anxiety or depression or self-harm or other areas, you know, um, at a more mild, you know, to moderate sort of level. But maybe with COVID, um, it has increased quite a bit. Um, we've all, I think there's also an increase in eating um, disorders, too, over the last year as people are less active and um, and at home more and concerns around, you know, body image and stuff related to that. Um, yeah, just thinking of what else I want to see kind of around that. Yeah, for sure. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I definitely think that the pandemic has been a big thing that has exacerbated so many like mental health issues as well. Um, and I mean, even without the pandemic, there obviously these issues are still um, around every day, of course. Um, but yeah, I, re- I really hope that we can maybe provide our listeners with um, some more knowledge about these um, issues that arise and mental health and just just initiate this sort of conversation around it. I think it would be really helpful and I hope our listeners feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just to add also too, I think, you know, um, there's so many supports that can be helpful, you know, and, and um, you know, counsel- counseling is just one of them. Um, peer support groups can also be really helpful, you know, um, realizing that you're not alone um, in your struggles is mm-hmm. very powerful for all of us, not yeah. just youth, right? Um, and and peer kind of or or group kind of support can mm-hmm. definitely be helpful in that too. And and I also see a lot of teens that are constantly reaching out to each other and offering support. And, and I think. I think we don't real. I think most adults don't realize how much teens are in there trying to help each other out. Mm, right. And of I, course. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess since we're like really on this topic of the pandemic, I guess we want to go into a little bit of self-care as well um, and talk a bit about it because it's very closely related to mental health. And I think right now, self-care is more important than ever, really, especially since we are stuck at home for way longer than usual. And it can obviously be hard to connect with others in the same way that we used to. And that's why it's so important to look after ourselves in these times. So do you have any tips for our teenage listeners or any any listeners, whether they be teenagers or adults, about self-care and coping strategies during the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great question. And and I'm also, you know, there's no there's no one size fits all because everybody also has different interests and different things that they're more drawn towards. So, you know, generally kind of, you know, speaking, um, you know, as a counselor, I, I, first of all, I usually start by checking in on sleep and eating, right? Actually, sleep is a powerful foundation for all of us, adults or youth, to our mental and emotional health, right? When we're, if we're very sleep deprived or we can't sleep at night or um, we're not sleeping deeply, it affects dramatically how we feel. So I always, as a counselor, I always check in around sleep, sleep patterns, um, and we do some strategies around, you know, how could we improve quality of sleep? Um, you know, eating also too, is, especially if there's been any history of, of um, maybe eating, any eating struggles too. Um, you know, human connection. Human connection is also very powerful. And I check in for everybody, you know, do you have someone that you can talk to? Mm-hmm. And and do you have a friend you can reach? Who in your life, when you reach out to them, it's a positive thing for you. Mm-hmm. You feel supported. You feel cared about. You feel non-judged. Right. A lack of judgment, which is very powerful. So those human connections, and it can be virtual, right, through COVID too. But, you know, and I know I have lots of teens that, you know, spend a lot of time in Discord. Maybe they find 
you know, maybe it's through Discord they have a community. Maybe it's through, um, you know, a team sport. Maybe it's through a club at school. But I'm just trying to find at least some ways of keeping connected. And if it's maybe not with a peer, maybe it's with, maybe you have a family member or maybe you have a grandma or, or, or a sibling or something like that. But I think, you know, we're, we're, we're essentially social human beings mm-hmm. and, even though some of us may be more introverted, extroverted, that just feeling of connected to something can be a powerful, um, a powerful kind of protection a little bit. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. We also, we also do in our work, we also teach some um, calming strategies around um, even specifically around anxiety. Lots of my clients struggle with maybe panic attacks or, feeling ex- over, extreme overwhelming emotions. Um, and we teach some calming breathing techniques. We also teach how to, how can you sometimes you just need to distract yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the best crisis intervention is to distract your thoughts. Yeah. Because when we're feeling extremely anxious, our thoughts can sort of snowball and spiral and they can be hard to let go of them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for some, it might be, okay, I'm going to Netflix, <laughs> Netflix mm-hmm. for a while and just, or put on my favorite music and mute, you know, for some people, a workout, because going for a workout or a run, it shifts everything in us. It yeah. shifts our physiology, our endorphins. For some people, banging on the, playing the drums or journaling mm-hmm. um, might work for them. So, I, I am of the philosophy working with youth. I mean, you you got youth are everybody's personality is different. So of finding those things that really help you almost kind of release some energy, um, you know, change your physiology a little bit, um, mm-hmm. and and or put yourself in a different sort of mental emotional headspace. So right, I totally agree. And I know earlier you're talking a little bit about how. Um, we as like humans like crave interaction with others, right? And I think um, obviously we talk a lot about how the pandemic has made that really hard. But I think it's also important that we recognize like considering the time and like that we live in that, you know, although like human interaction is dramatically increased, I think we should also be aware of the privilege we have today to be able to communicate with others online still, right? Because a hundred years ago, if the same thing were to happen, like I wouldn't have been able to, you know, FaceTime one of my friends when I was feeling a little bit stressed, right? So I think it's really, really important um, to, I guess, be grateful for the fact that many of us do have access to technology um, and like, like internet and online communications where we still are able to interact with others, even if it may not be ideal circumstances. Yeah, Cheryl, that's a great point. That's a really great point. And what you're also, Cheryl, what you're also tapping into is another little um, thing, the idea of gratitude. Mm, right. Yeah, even I do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Of even pausing in our day. Mm-hmm. Or before bed at night or something, and think of three or four things that you're grateful for. Mm. And and the research has actually shown that it actually can make us feel well. One of the one of the studies I saw it was like 10 or 15% happier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just yeah. pausing and and kind of doing that gratitude. But and yeah, technology has really shifted things. And and thank goodness we've had that in the last year. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree. And of course, moving on, we want our listeners to know about all the different ways that they can reach out for help if they need it. And as we all know here at Lillian Osborne, there are many mental health resources that students can use, such as student services with counselors, the mental health awareness group, as well as ledge talks with guest speakers. But many people may not be as educated on resources outside of the school. So I wanted to ask, what are some resources you can recommend to people struggling with mental health from outside of Lillian Osborne? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there there are a lot of different options, and and I really think it's great that I know your school has a really good um, team of people also for support. Um, when I, you know, at Thrive Teens, when we work with counselors, we're like, or with with youth, we're only available, you know, during daytime hours. So we always share, like, okay, what if it's ten o'clock or midnight or two in the morning? 
and you're really struggling at, you know, and in my experience, sometimes when youth are or people are struggling, for sometimes it peaks a little bit more later in the evening or at night when, you know, most places are closed or maybe your parents are sleeping or, you know, you, um, it's late at night. So we, we always share, you know, a few, since, since I'm kind of, I think we're kind of focusing this a little bit conversation more on youth. Um, um, there are, you know, a few resort, lots of different resources out there. Um, there's the distress line, mm-hmm. um, um, that offers um, support, also suicide interventions too. Um, and that's at crisissupportcenter.com. Um, there's also youth space, which is specifically for youth and it's open until one in the morning. And they also have texting options. So maybe maybe you're it's very late at night and you're struggling, but you know the idea of picking up your phone and calling, it just might feel too much. Um, a lot of the youth mental health supports offer texting or or speaking, you know, in person or mm-hmm. speaking over the phone. So that's youthspace.ca. Um, and it's until one in the morning. They offer advice, emotional support, and also crisis kind of response. Um, and the kids help phone. Um, the kids help phone is for um, all youth ages. It's free. Um, and um, it's I believe it's available um, it's available. It's got quite long hours mm-hmm. and it also has a, cal- uh, a chat option and that's kidshelpphone.ca. Mm-hmm. So those are probably three ones that we do recommend or, or share with all of our youth. Just, just to kind of have in your back pocket as extra support. Um, Edmonton also has free walk-in crisis counseling too um, at a different few locations that um, you can learn more about through the city of Edmonton uh, website. So, and there's a few locations in that for sort of urgent kind of um, support. So um, I think the main thing is to, you know, also to know that if you are struggling, you know, to, to reach out to somebody, mm-hmm. right? And and it might be it might be peers, um, you know, at times, but there's also a kind of a point at which, um, especially if it is a little more serious, sometimes peers like your friends might not they don't know what to say or do, right? And mm-hmm. so, kind of knowing when is it a, when is it something that maybe my friends could help me with, and when is it something that maybe I should maybe reach out to a professional or, you know, my parents or, um, or to someone else kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I completely agree. And those are definitely really good resources that, um, anyone can use really. And I really hope that our listeners know, cause I know a lot of people might feel a little bit ashamed to kind of reach out when it comes to mental health. And I, I think I've seen that quite a bit, just, you know, amongst, um, many people and I really hope our listeners know that you know when you do call like any of these hotlines that these people are there to help you right they're not there to judge you and I know obviously like many people would feel ashamed and I think and I think it, it, it is normal to feel that way right there's obviously um, and like that brings us back to that conversation about stigma as well but in the end I hope that listeners and those who do need to reach out for mental health help are able to do so without you know feeling ashamed and feeling those um, feelings as well yeah and that's you know what professionals that work those of us that work in this field also at Thrive Teen Counseling is is that our job and all these um, support lines that I also just mentioned. Our job is to create a safe, supportive, non-judgmental space. Mm-hmm. And also, we often will normalize how you're feeling. When I hear youth express what they're feeling, I've heard generally, I've heard other youth say almost the same thing. Mm-hmm. That to know that you're not alone and there's no judgment in feeling this way. Right, of course. And we want to move into our very last question today. And this is something that we kind of touched on a little bit before, but we can't really talk about mental health without recognizing other identity factors that can intersect with it, right? And most people know that the amount of stigma is different for minority groups such as Black, Indigenous, and people of color, as well as those a part of the LGBTQIA plus community. So in your opinion, how does being a minority affect one's ability to get an accurate diagnosis? 
Mm -hmm. Well, I think, so I think I might answer that question from, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a few ways to look at that. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, what you asked is around getting an accurate diagnosis, but also the idea that um, systemic elements of life affect our mental health, right? That not all of us go through the world having the same experiences. The idea that race, gender, sexual orientation, um, ability, ableism, you know, um, class, um, identity, um, all of these things, you know, sort of, I guess it's sort of an, we call an anti-oppressive sort of lens. Mm -hmm. All of those things affect, um, affect sometimes our access to services Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes also our, um, there's an increase in, how do I want to say this? There's an increase in those things can affect our mental health, yeah. right? So, for example, looking at, you know, Black Lives Matter in the last year, looking at, you know, the recent increase in in anti-Asian, um, you know, racism, mm-hmm. looking at, you know, issues around trans individuals and some of the violence that's been experienced, looking at anti, um, um, some of the anti-Muslim attacks mm-hmm. that have happened right in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. I, I believe we can't separate those elements from, you know, those things have a dramatic impact on mental health. Of course. And I think that I think that's something that in the counseling field too, we can do better in because um, and I also think we need more diversity of people within the profession too, and, or, you know, and also increased awareness and understanding um, in order to recognize the systemic elements, um, mm-hmm. you know, for all of that. Um, you know, one, one stat that stayed with me from, um, you know, years ago in grad school, even too, is that of, of homeless youth on the street, about that around 40% of homeless youth on the street are from the LGBTQ community, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah. so, so we can't, I think, I believe very much in, you know, this is intersectional and we need to approach mental health from looking at it in a systemic intersectional sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a great question. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. you've asked that. Yeah. I really love how you bring up that the idea of intersectionality really. And honest to our listeners, like if there's anything on this podcast that we're going to bring up each and every episode is the idea that issues are never as simple as we see them, right? Mental health issues aren't just mental health issues, but um, you know, uh, accumulation of like all sorts of others that come together, right? So I think it's always really important to not see things through a single lens, but really see it as a more complex complex picture and how other things play into um, issues like mental health, right? And I think that's something really important. And I hope our listeners are able to, you know, when they see an issue that they want to tackle, the ability to analyze it from many different lenses. And I think, you know, intersectionality is definitely something that is so important in advocacy, activism, everything really. And I love how you ended off on a note of growth as well, seeing that, you know, in the field of mental health and counseling that um, I think to improve on maybe is to incorporate more, you know, intersectional lenses and the ability to analyze all those um, factors. And I think that's such a great note to end off on. Yeah. 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 And just, just to add, I guess, one more thing too, around, I guess, relating also trauma at times mm-hmm. to that, right? Trauma, family experiences, and also inter, you know, in, in our field, we also learn about intergenerational trauma. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, um, you know, when the topic is, you know, say for example, of residential schools in Canada, you know, comes up the idea that that um, trauma can be passed through the generations mm-hmm. too, and that of the intersection of of our you know of our actual Canadian history, you know, in that. So I think yeah, I think these are really important things, and I think I'm 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 happy that there's more discussion on these things mm-hmm. and awareness as we move forward. Yeah, 
thank you so much. Uh, that was uh, our last question for today. Um, um, thank you so much for coming onto this podcast. I loved everything that we talked about, uh, especially about intersectionality, mental health, coping strategies as well. I hope this was a very helpful podcast to our listeners. And of course, I wanted to thank you for your time. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Cheryl. Yeah, you did a great job. Thanks thank so much. Thank you. So our other guest for today's podcast is Dr. Hugie. She is a community psychiatrist working primarily in addictions and as well in general adult psychiatry. Welcome, Dr. Hugie. Thank you. We're so happy to have you here and hopefully we can have some more interesting discussions about mental health um, and as well um, your specialty in addiction. Um, So hopefully we can have some more um, interesting conversations and hopefully our listeners can learn more about mental health resources and stigma. So to start off, we want to talk a bit more about that terminology, right? So people love to throw around the words anxiety and depression. You know, you hear people say, I'm feeling so depressed right now or I have so much anxiety when they should really be using other words like maybe stressed or upset as depression and anxiety are disorders that you need to be diagnosed with usually. So could you explain to us a bit more about what the differences are between feeling anxious and or depressed versus anxiety and depression as disorders? Yeah, I mean, certainly, basically, everybody has, you know, feelings that change all of the time. We basically have days that we feel better and days that we feel worse and moments we feel better and moments we feel worse. I mean, to some extent, as long as things are shifting, you know, on a regular, on a relatively regular basis, not in extreme ways, that probably is is normal. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of is, becomes a disorder when things kind of get stuck. You are consistently down, consistently stuck in a very negative place your behavior starts being impacted. You can't function well in, let's say, school or work or other kind of functions. And, um, you know, basically things become kind of stuck in some way. And so that's kind of what I, that's kind of when things become a disorder. And, you know, I think that we are disserved by the fact that, you know, the same word, people will use the word depression and anxiety for, you know, momentarily feeling down. Yeah. Um, And, you know, kind of use the same term for something that actually is, you know, destroying a person's life and you know it's I think it's unfortunate we don't actually have more distinct terms to kind of clarify these are very different things yeah no thanks for thanks for like clarifying those definitions because even I myself sometimes find it a bit hard to understand when to use which words but hopefully now everybody knows when you should actually use what terminology um and so next up we're going to talk a bit more about the mental health stigma, right? So we see that the mental health stigma exists within teens, their families, their communities, right? Ethnic or religious communities as well. And this negative attitude and sort of mark of disgrace, as well as the shame culture that comes along with it associated with mental health, often stands between people and their ability to seek help for their mental health issues, because they may feel ashamed, or they may just legitimately not be able to access any resources. So while talking about mental health, it's also important to bring up that topic of addiction because that is also a very serious issue that is prevalent, but that also comes with its very own stigma. So how has the stigma around addiction prevented people from gaining resources that they need to better themselves? Yeah, I mean, these are complicated issues. I do think that things have somewhat improved. I mean, I've been in, I you know, finished my residency uh, in 1998. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I do think there's been a lot wider acceptance of mental health issues. And even to some extent that, um, you know, addiction is is, a, is, a, is not something that people can necessarily control on their own. Um, one person I quite like is Gabor Matty. And mm-hmm. just in my own circle of people that I know in my own circle, a number of people who had very negative attitudes with addiction really had quite a change in um, feeling you know, watching some of his videos or reading some of his books. So I, I certainly recommend Gabor Matti, G-A-B-O-R, 
last name M-A-T-E as being a, a really good um, source to get some information in regard to, I think, a fairly compassionate and accurate stance toward toward addiction. Yeah, of course. And, you know, on the topic of resources, what do you think that we can do um, to help reduce the stigma surrounding mental health and addictions? You know, I think at this point in time, I think that, you know, one of the issues is both, I think, somewhat underreacting and overreacting. To some extent, people are frightened to go to somebody if they think they're going to have, you know, you know, if, if there's, you know, I think it's finding that kind of that balance. I mean, you yeah, definitely want sure. to acknowledge this is a serious problem, but you also want to, you know, sometimes a person just does want to vent and they kind of are getting their toe in the door to kind of tell you a bit about what's going on, possibly seeking help. And sometimes, you know, a profound overreaction can actually really um, set things back as well. So I think you kind of do have to assess um, what is going on. And first of all, I think you actually have to set the stage to actually have the person feel comfortable talking to you. Even as a physician, that's a huge part. I mean, if people don't tell you what's going on, it's, um, it's very hard to have an idea of what to do to help them. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think as like friends or family, being a good listener, you know, always helps, right? You don't necessarily need to be a professional in mental health to be able to help your friends and family, right? Just being a good brother or sister or friend is more than enough, right? And so on the topic of how to help improve the mental health of others and often ourselves, I also want to talk about this amazing resource that I believe our listeners should know about as it could literally save a life. So naloxone kits are over-the-counter drug that blocks the effects of opioids and it's often used during an overdose to combat decreased breathing. So a lot of professionals recommend keeping these kits at home just as you would keep, you know, painkillers like Advil or Tylenol. So could you explain a bit more about why people should be keeping these kits at home? Yeah, no, basically these are available free at every pharmacy, at least I believe every pharmacy, every, you know, every, you know, larger pharmacy certainly, and they have free, uh, free um, teaching on how to use them. And basically it's one of those things that is, you know, the one time you might need one um, is when you really want to have um, one available and actually have some training in how to use them properly. And literally opiates is a very interesting disorder just because, um, a person can go from literally dying to um, not dying, although still mm. obviously needing more help in a in a incredibly short. You know, it's it's kind of it is really kind of a miracle. Yeah, no, of course. So hopefully now that you guys know about that, you can maybe consider um, keeping one at home just because it's you're better, you know, to have those resources um, at your home. So as well, we know here at Lillian Osborne, we have many other mental health resources that some of our listeners may know about, such as student services. We have an amazing community of counselors and staff. We have our mental health awareness group. We have ledge talks with guest speakers, but many people may not be as educated about the resources that they can access outside of school. So what are some resources that you recommend for people who are struggling with mental health um, that they can access, you know, outside of school? Okay, well, there's a number of different things. I mean, I, there is this um, quite comprehensive list of resources, which is called, um, I'm just going to basically, it's called um, Center for Online Mental Health Support. And basically it's www.comhs dot health and it basically has a list of a great number of different supports um an app that a number of people are finding quite helpful is called mind shift cbt and it's uh, by the government of canada that basically deals with anxiety primarily um you mentioned about supporting somebody i know yes. a number of people have liked um let me just get there uh, yeah this is a website called be there.org which basically is a resource to kind of help support you and supporting somebody who is struggling. Like there actually has been quite a, a number of different, um, you know, resources that have kind of been put out there to basically offer some sort of support. Um, you know, so those are just, you know, some ideas of some things that might be useful. Yeah, no, of course. And um, the MindShift app, I actually have that on my phone. And I would say that it is very helpful, right? Like it's a free resource. Anyone can download it. Um, it's on Apple, on the Apple iPhone store, um, and then also on Google Play. So anyone can get it. And it is really helpful whether or not you have, you know, just if you're experiencing day-to-day -day anxieties about whatever is going on in your life. Um, it also has stuff for phobias, um, if you're struggling with, you know, perfectionism and stuff like that. So it's a really good resource. So thank you for mentioning 
understanding that. But again, the sad thing is that oftentimes people, um, you know, struggle accessing these resources because of that stigma, right? So back to that stigma concept, it is very prominent in Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities, many different religious communities, as well as the LGBTQIA plus community. So in your opinion and in your expertise and your sort of experiences, how does being a minority who is a part of these groups affect one's ability to get an accurate diagnosis? You know, I think things are improving, and I think partly because, you know, also at this point in time, I mean, compared to when I finished my residency in 1998, the likelihood of being able to find, um, you know, a therapist or a physician that speaks different languages, that comes from different cultures, is certainly significantly improved. Um, you know, so I do think that helps. I mean, at this point in time, you know, I, I do just think things gradually shift over time. I mean, I'm from rural Saskatchewan originally, and boy, mental health um, issues were certainly deeply stigmatized back then, and they still are to some extent, but there has been a shift. I mean, at this point in time, you know, the issues are at least talked about to some extent when, boy, they certainly weren't at, at one time. So I, I do think, you know, gradually, I think things shift, um, you know, over time as people, um, you know, I, th I think... Yeah, I think just it's becoming more part of the culture, and I think it's gradually in going in a positive direction. I'm not really sure exactly how to um, hasten that along that much, but I, yeah. I think it is moving in a positive direction. Yeah, for sure. And also, you know, with the increasing number of, I see like the online free resources that people can access, because oftentimes maybe you're, you, you know, maybe you don't have a guardian or a parent to actually take you somewhere. But I mean, you know, we have our school resources, right? At Lillian Osborne, we have student services and we have a really supportive mental health awareness group and we have our Let's Talks, but there's also those online resources, some of them that you mentioned yourself. And then there's the MindShift app. So those sort of um, resources um, really do help people who are facing that stigma because, you know, you, you, there's not, it's just like not a one way street, right? You have many different opportunities to get help. Um, and hopefully things do get better. And, you know, some of the things that you mentioned that things are progressively getting better as we as society, you know, mature over time. Um, um, and, you know, for me, especially being a part of minorities, I do see this sort of stigma in action a lot. But there are people who are working to break it and very helpful professionals like yourself who make it uh, much better for people. So hopefully we can continue that. And um, off to our, our final question, we want to kind of end off with some some sort of discussion for our parents, right? So it's not only kids that are dealing with mental health and mental health issues, but there's also parents who struggle with their mental health or who also struggle with, you know, um, finding, figuring out ways to support their children who may have mental illness. So how important is it for parents to seek help so that their kids don't develop the same mental health struggles that maybe they did when they were younger and they didn't treat them? Yeah, no, absolutely. A parent uh, getting help for their own issues uh, is, is huge. You know, I guess I'm thinking, especially if a person, and either a young person or a parent or, or somebody working with youth, who actually wants to do a little bit, you know, extra. I mean, as I said, in terms of they have a number of different programs, like the, the mental health first aid offered through Alberta Health Services. I, I haven't specifically been involved with that, but I've heard good things about it. I also know the, that Alberta Health Services Young Helpers Program, I've heard quite good feedback about mm -hmm. it. And actually, an incredibly good program, um, and it's entirely free, is Brain Story Certification uh, offers some training about trauma-informed care that's entirely free. And it's actually an incredibly good grounding, um, you know, for a person who just wants to get some basic understanding of, of, of the brain, mental health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so... For people who have a bit more, uh, I guess, time and, and energy for, you know, taking it a step further, there are some wonderful free resources. Thank you so much for mentioning them because hopefully our listeners are able to take that um, and use that in their daily lives and maybe share those resources with people that they know may need them. So that concludes our interview. Thank you so much for um, sharing your knowledge and your expertise with us today. A lot of valuable discussions um, were sort of, you know, we have and hopefully our listeners can take away a lot, especially about learning about those resources, naloxone kits, um, stigma and stuff like that. So thank you so much for um, spending your time here with us today. And I just want to say, you know, a huge part, of course, is support. And, you know, I recognize COVID. I mean, online mm -hmm. support is one thing. I do think there's benefits to actually in-person support, but obviously one has to balance that right now with, um, 
you know, the realities of, of the COVID situation. But, you know, there's there's tons of research that a strong social network and a supportive social network is so protective and so important. Yeah, no, of course, of course. Um, so thank you so much for um, being here with us today. And yeah, thank you so much. Okay, well, thanks so much. Bye. such an interesting conversation with our panel members, Dr. Hughie and Michelle Engbloom. I definitely learned so much from all the knowledge and experience they have, and I hope our listeners were able to gain a lot from that too. The pandemic hit us approximately a year ago, and we all know how mental health has been heavily impacted by that. We hope that discussions like these can help listeners learn more about mental health, increase awareness, and gain access to different resources. I love the conversation so much, especially when Michelle talked about intersectionality, and she really analyzed how mental health is so complicated you know she really highlighted the complexities of it and she gave our listeners so many great resources and strategies i hope you all learned as much as i did right i had the same experience with dr hugie she was so delightful and talked at length about stigma and mental illness and sort of the stigma in addictions as well because that's where she specializes and she also talked about all the different ways that we can help break those stigmas and i also learned so much about those resources like naloxone kits which are over the counter anyone can get them the mind shift app that i myself have downloaded and you guys can download that too and there's so many more resources that she talked about at length and i'm very grateful that we actually got those professionals like dr hugie and michelle who are experts in that mental health field because it is very tough to navigate mental health at times there's so much to talk about so many different tangents but we hope that our discussions during this podcast taught our viewers about resources, how to break the stigma, and different support systems. And make sure to check the show notes for all the resources that our speakers mentioned. It was such an amazing episode. I loved it so much. Me too. If you guys noticed the amazing music throughout the show, credits go to Kavon Rain, Ian Stewart, and Brian O, respectively. Stay tuned for our next episode of The Lowdown. And until then, just remember to be legendary. legendary.